Amen. Lord, you are so wonderful. Lord, it is only because of your grace and your mercy that we can pour out our hearts to you. Father, I pray right now as we go to your word that you would minister to every heart that is here. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us tonight. We love you. We praise you. We worship you, Lord. You're a great and awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand because you're going to need one. Turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy 18, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. A couple of things, just want you to be praying. Um, maybe some of you got this. I know we have a lot of people that support GFA, Gospel for Asia. Maybe you don't know this, but we, that's one of the missions groups, probably the main missions group that we support, along with the orphanage in Haiti. Those are things that we're really behind. But uh, Gospel for Asia, they've planted, I think it's up around 20,000 churches now in India. And, and these guys go out and they lay down their lives for the Lord and they potentially can lose their life. And we got an email and it says that, and this is from K.P. O'Hannon, just that they, they're holding a, a certain area ransom. They're saying if they don't give them $186,000, which is 8 million rupees, that by today, well, Thursday morning, which they're 12 hours ahead, so it's right now, they're saying that if they don't do that, that they're going to start killing their, their pastors and start killing all the people that go to their Bible colleges and... They're not going to let them out. So they're even surrounding their area saying they're going to kill them if they don't leave. And he just sent us this email asking that we would pray. So what I want to do right now before we go to the Word, because it's right about now their deadline's coming, let's pray for these guys. And what I love about them is everybody told them just leave, and they're not going to leave. And you've got to love people like that. Amen? You've got to love people who say, you know what, if I die, I die. If I perish, I perish, because God's called me here. So we're going to serve the Lord. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come before you, and we intercede on behalf of our precious brothers and sisters in Christ over in India. Lord, we just pray your hand of protection would be upon them. Father, I pray you'd give them courage and give them peace in the midst of this time, Lord, to know that you are with them, that you're faithful. Lord, I pray that you would work on the hearts of, of these terrorists that are coming against them, Lord. Father, that they would soften their stance and they would turn away. But Father, I pray that even if not, Lord, that you would give these young men and women strength to stand for you in the midst of it. May you use this for your glory. And Father, I just pray that you would take some of that boldness that they have half a world away and rub it off on us. May we not be ashamed of you. Lord, they stand before loaded rifles standing for you. May we stand before our neighbors and stand before our coworkers with that same boldness and that same passion. So Lord, may your hand be upon them. Go, I just pray that you go before them in the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Keep them in your prayers if you would. Deuteronomy 18, again, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law. This is the final book of the Pentateuch, penta meaning five, the, the first five books of the Bible, the law of Moses, as it's also called, or just referred to as the law. And this is as the children of Israel about to enter into the land of promise, the first ten chapters. He's reminding the next generation of all the things that the previous generation had gone through, all the rebellion, all the blessings of God, and even though he had delivered them out of bondage, even though he had crossed them over the Red Sea, he had defeated the enemy, how they still didn't heed his word and still would not enter into the land of promise. Even though the cloud was leading them through the wilderness, even though manna was falling from the sky, they still didn't trust God. They were overwhelmed by their circumstances. So the first ten chapters, he's reminding them of what kept the children of Israel, the previous generation, out of the land of promise. Many of them, again, have been small children when it happened, and they would have remembered it. Others would not have remembered it at all. But he was reminding that next generation how they didn't listen to God's word. And that's something that we need to be reminding our, our families of repeatedly. God's promises, God's faithfulness. From chapter 11 on, he begins to prepare them for the land of promise. Okay, you guys are about to go in, and as we've talked about every week, and we'll spend a lot of time on it, but as they go in... Okay, we're going to the promised land. That means everything's going to be perfect now. No more trials, no more struggles. God said, absolutely not. He said, when you go into the land of promise, it will be a land flowing with milk and honey. You won't be in the wilderness anymore. You're going to experience experience the highest, all that I have for you, crossing over the Jordan, being a type of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But when we get into that land of promise, there's still trials that will come. And even if you're on fire for God, you're walking in the center of His will, you're doing everything that God's called you to do, trials are still going to come. Amen? 
Look at these guys in India. They're in the center of God's will, and yet trials have come. And remember, we've, if you've been here on Sundays, we've been talking about trials are an opportunity for us to grow. So he prepared them and told them the blessings that they would have for being obedient. He told them there was only one true worship because he knew when they got there that there was going to be a temptation to fall into idol worship. We'll talk more about that tonight. He also talked about how he feels about other religions. Remember that anybody that tried to draw somebody away to serve another god, they were to be taken out in what? Stoned to death. God didn't feel too good about people serving false gods. He told them to live for God all their life and everything they do and the way that they mourn and the way that they eat. I mean, they're supposed to be different than the world around them. They were to give even when it didn't make sense. They were to trust God. They were to release the debts of people that owed them money. They were just to be totally different from the world. They were going to be going into a place that was flowing with milk and honey, but a place that was filled with pagan idolatry and Satan worship. That's what, that's what idolatry is. If you don't know that, you're either serving God or you're serving the enemy. And if somebody's worshiping a block of wood, they're worshiping the enemy. And so he said, when you go in there, it's going to be a place that's plentiful, but a place that's godless. Now, what does that sound like? Sounds like the country we live in today, amen? It's plentiful, but it's godless. And we, people have turned their back on God. He said, when you go out there, understand that you need to be different than the world around you. He reminded them to remember all that God had done for them. And then last week, we looked at the true source of wisdom, how, where just judges and just judgment came from, and how godly kings were to live. And we finished off the chapter last week by talking about the true source of wisdom, which is God's Word. We're going to see that again tonight. People struggle and don't know what to do with their lives. I always ask them, how much time are you spending in the Bible? I'm amazed at how many people really spend a lot of time in God's Word that don't struggle with that. Because that's the way God speaks to us. You know, God's just not speaking to me. No, you're not listening. Amen? You're not spending time in His Word. You're not heeding His voice. You're not, you're not pursuing Him. And He said, for the king, and imagine if we had it this way, every king, when they became king, had to sit down and handwrite their own Bible. Can you imagine? Now, this is probably just the law of Moses, the first five books. Can you imagine writing down Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy? And they didn't have the pens like we've got today. And they had to write down five books of the Bible. You think you might start to learn it if you wrote it down? And so they were to take God's Word and put it in their hearts and keep it by them all day, every day, and consult it constantly so that they might fear God and lead the people in a godly way. So tonight, I titled the message... How to have a heavenly focus. Because now they're about to go into the land of promise, and there's going to be some things that he's going to talk about. This is a heavy chapter if you've read ahead. And there's some stuff he's going to be talking about that's going to be temptation and distractions and things that could take their eyes off of God. And as I was studying the text and reading it over and over this week, what I thought about was the instruction he gave was to help them have a heavenly focus in the midst of a godless people. And it's something that you and I need to learn as well. As Moses continues to instruct them, he's going to warn them and prepare them to enter, enter into the land of promise. And just like these words 3,500 years ago spoke to them, they definitely have an application for your life and mine tonight. Our actions in believer, as believers reflect what our passion is. You know what? If I spend time with you, I'll find out what you're passionate about. And you know what? My, you know what I look for in calling? I look for passion. Because I believe if we're truly called, we're going to be passionate. It's not going to be, oh man, is it my turn to be in the nursery again? Man, that's not passion, amen? That's not good. What we're looking for, I want to see someone who says, man, this, I get to, not I have to. I want to. It's a passion. It's a desire that I have. And you know what? What we're passionate about, how we spend our time, what comes out of our mouths reflects what's in our heart. And we're going to see two huge factors that, in tonight's text that show us where our focus is, whether it's a heavenly focus or a worldly focus. And these are the two things we're going to see. It's what we invest in, whether it be our time, our resources, or our gifts. And secondly, where we go for counsel and direction. This shows where your heart's at. This shows where your focus is at. If you run to the world, if you're investing in the world, then that's where your treasure's going to be. If your focus is on God, and you're investing in the kingdom of God, then that's where your treasure will be. So we're going to see how to have a heavenly focus. First, we're going to see that that our focus is impacted greatly by what we invest in. That where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, what you treasure will determine where your heart is. And then we're going to see that, that, that 
the warning to avoid the worldly customs, to walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. And then finally, he's going to instruct them as his children to honor the word of God. So let's begin in verse 1 of how to have a heavenly focus. We're first going to look at God's provision for the priests and Levites, but really what we're going to be seeing is our focus is impacted greatly by what we invest our time and our finances in. Verse 1, the priests and the Levites, all the tribe of Levi. Those of you who may not have been here or you just forgot, all the priests and the Levites were descendants of Levi. That's not a trick question. The Levites, descendants of Levi. Now, Levi was the third son of Jacob by his wife Leah. Now, Levi had three sons, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Now, Aaron and Moses were from the family of Kohath. So only the descendants of Aaron could be priests. If you were not a descendant of Aaron, you could not be the priest. So all the priests came from the line of Aaron, but the rest of the Levites, those from Gershon and Merari, or those from the tribe of Kohath that were not you know, from the direct line of Aaron, they were not priests, but they were called by God to serve in the sanctuary full time. Now, they had no part, it says there, they had no part in the inheritance with Israel. They were not given any of the land for their own possession. They were to live in every region and to serve as priests and servants to all the people. Now, you might say at first glance, these guys are getting ripped off. So they're called by God, and they get no stuff. They're called by God to serve Him and to lay down their lives completely for Him, and then they have no inheritance in the land. Every other tribe got their own land that was given to them, and they had built up their own cities. But the Levites were not given their own land. Now, where they lived, it was possible for them to possess a piece of the land it wasn't an inheritance. It would go back to the previous person at the year of Jubilee. But it was possible for them to possess a piece of land. But they had no inheritance. They had nothing permanent. Everything that they owned was temporary. And you look at that again, you might say, oh, that just doesn't seem fair. But as we're going to see, I believe they received a much better portion. Because you know what? As we're going to see, our inheritance is not here anyway. Amen? And too often, we, you know, we call people blessed because they got a lot of stuff. Man, that guy's blessed. Driving a Rolls Royce, living in a five million. Man, that guy's blessed. Not necessarily. Amen? Because you know what? The one who is blessed is the one who has a treasure that will outlive this life. The one who has something that's going to, to pass on into eternity. And they had no part or inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the offerings of the Lord made by fire and his portion. So, how were they provided for? Part of the offering that was brought to the Lord, the sin offering, the burnt offering, other offerings, part of it was burnt to the Lord by fire, but the rest was given to the priests and the Levites to sustain them in, in serving the Lord full time. So, as we're going to see as we continue on, those who served in the ministry full time were provided through the offerings of the people. That's where it originated. He said, you know what, these guys who are serving full time should be provided for by those who come and make sacrifice. Verse 2. Therefore, they shall have no inheritance among their brethren. The Lord is their inheritance, as He said to them. Now, having read that, who do you think is getting ripped off? Would you rather have a block of ground or the Lord for your inheritance? Which one's a better inheritance? See, sometimes, again, we look and we think, oh man, these poor guys, they're serving God completely and all they get is God for an inheritance? All they get is a heavenly inheritance. All they get is, you know, the cattle on a thousand hills in heaven and glory, that which is going to outlast eternity. And so often we, again, we think that, that hey, man, if, if I've accumulated a lot of stuff, I'm really blessed. God's hand is really with me because I have a lot of stuff. You know what? I, I'll tell you what. The more I fall in love with the Lord, the less stuff I need. It's amazing how God does that work in my heart. I remember being in my early 20s and having a job, making a ton of money and buying a big house and cars and all this stuff and going on vacations and giving money away. And, all. and I remember pulling over on the side of the road. Some of you have heard my testimony. Born again Christian, called preacher boy in college and all that kind of stuff. But pulling over on the side of the road and weeping, saying, God has more for me than this. Even though I was making a ton of money, had the house and the stuff, I just realized, man, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. And you know what? Every house my wife and I have lived in has gotten smaller and smaller, and I have more and more joy every single time we move to a smaller place. 
You know why? Because it's less encumbered by the things of this world and more able to do more for the kingdom of God. And he said, these guys have no inheritance. You know what that means? No yard work. <laughs> Amen? They got nothing to build, no stuff, no nothing, right? They got no inheritance. They're not tied down to this world. Instead, they can serve God full time. And again, this is a blessing. Could focus 100% of their time and energy on serving the Lord. I remember at one point in my house down in Southern California, we were upside down. What happened was, and that does happen sometimes. Those of you who are young, you don't know that, but it does. And what happened was that we lived, and it was all aerospace where we lived. And aerospace went, right? And then every third house was empty all of a sudden. And my house went down in value like 50%. And so I owed a lot more money than I could sell my house for. And I called it golden handcuffs. Because I couldn't move. I was so tied down to the things of this world that I couldn't move. At one point, my wife and I were praying about moving to Russia and, and pastoring. I was going to pastor a church in Moscow. And you know what? I couldn't go because I couldn't get rid of my house. And I, the Lord just pierced my heart right there and said, Don't you ever be so in bondage to the things of this world that you can't let them go. And it was a lesson I learned, praise God, at a young age. And so no inheritance in the world, it's not a bad thing. It's a blessing if the Lord is your inheritance, giving up the temporal inheritance for an eternal one. A man is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Amen? And again, I want to make this real clear. It's okay to own a house. Pastor Dave said, if I own a house, I'm in sin. Or man, Golden handcuffs. No. <laughs> what I'm saying is, make sure you possess your possessions and they don't possess you. Amen? Make sure you're not so focused on keeping the bills up that you can't do anything for God. Man, if I, once I get caught up on my bills, then I can start serving the Lord. That's sad, isn't it? Because I don't want to miss out on doing God's highest because I'm so tied down. And again, be a good steward. Owning a home's fine. Just make sure that your priority is God first, not your home first. Amen? Make sure you're pursuing Him above all else. So the Levites and the priests gave their lives completely to the service of the Lord and His people. It was a blessing, a privilege, a calling, not a burden. They didn't feel left out. They didn't feel bummed out. And, you know, and again, I, I try not to make things too personal all the time, but let me just tell you something. I am way more happier in my mobile home than I was in my mammoth house in Southern California because I'm in the center of God's will, amen? And man, there's so much more joy in that than having all that the world thinks is important. Verse 3, And this shall be the priest due from the people. From those who offer a sacrifice, whether it is a bull or a sheep, they shall give to the priest the shoulder and the cheeks and the stomach, the first fruits of your grain, of your new wine, of your oil, and the first of the fleece of your sheep you shall give him. So the priest and the, Le- and the Levites could only give themselves to full-time service, as others were faithful to bring their tithes and offerings and sacrifices to the Lord. So the Levites couldn't serve full-time unless other people gave. So every person who's serving full-time in ministry, myself included, is only because you guys are faithful. If you were not faithful, I'd have to go back and get a job, which I'm willing to do. But, I, uh, but I'm glad that I get to study full-time. I'm glad that I'm able to spend as much time in the Word as I am. I'm, be, I'm glad I'm able to be available to you guys, and so are our assistant pastors. And that would be impossible if you guys didn't give. And the same was true of the Levites. They were only able to serve full-time as the other tribes were faithful to give of their first fruits to the Lord. The Levites gave their lives, and Israel gave their first fruits and their, uh, and their provisions of what God had given them unto the Lord. Those who ministered to the people were to be provided for by the people. We've talked about this in Leviticus. Those who feed them spiritual food were to be provided for, the, for them by them with physical food. Those who minister from the Word are to live from the Word. Those who minister the Gospel are to live from the Gospel. That's what it says in the New Testament. And again, a lot of people struggle with it. Now, I want to make it real clear also. I believe the pastor should live at the level of the people or below, not above. I believe that it's important that the pastors be able to eat and be able to feed their family and, you know, make sure their kids have shoes and go on a vacation once in a while, but they should not be men who are pursuing wealth. Just like the Levites had no inheritance... Our inheritance needs to be, and our focus needs to be, on that which is heavenly. Verse 5, For the Lord your God has chosen him out of all your tribes to stand to minister in the name of the Lord, him and his sons forever. Now the Levites were chosen to have this position because why? What did they do 
previously that God said, okay, you're the tribe, you're the ones. What did they do? Who remembers? They came to Moses. That's exactly right. If you guys remember back in Exodus 32, Moses goes up on Mount Sinai. He goes up there with the, and he's bringing the Ten Commandments down. And when he comes down, what does he see? He takes and breaks the law because they had broken the law. Remember that? And, they're da- and they had already heard the word being spoken audibly by God. The ground shook and they were scared to death and said, Moses, you go talk to him because we can't talk to him and we're petrified. So you go talk to him. And Moses goes up on the mountain for 40 days and while he's up on the mountain, they make a golden calf. And they have a drunken orgy and they're out of control. And Moses comes down and sees that they've broken the law and he breaks the Ten Commandments. And then it says in Exodus 32 that he stood in the entrance of the camp and said, whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all, all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. So of the 12 tribes, there's only one tribe where every single person in that tribe repented on the spot. We don't know what level of involvement they have, but no doubt at least some of them were involved in this drunken orgy. Moses comes down and says, if you're on God's side, come here. And they went, oh man, we're blowing it. Let's go get right with God. Praise God, amen? You take a million steps away from God, it's only one step back. And what's interesting is right after that happened, what did he tell them to do? He gave them, he said, take a sword and go in and slay all those who continue to walk in rebellion. That's paraphrased. And what did they do? They killed 3,000 men. So not only were they willing to come to the Lord, but they were willing to serve the Lord in a difficult task. They didn't just come to the Lord and say, okay, I got the get out of hell free card. That sounds good. I don't want to get swallowed up by the ground, so yeah, I'll come to you. No, they came and then he said, now what I want you to do is take the sword and go kill these people. That's rough because these were all cousins. These are all family members. And they go in and they slay them with the sword. But it's interesting that those who are in rebellion... What tool was used to slay them? The sword. The sword is a type or picture of the Word of God. And so we see again that these guys were faithful to take and use that symbol of the Word in their hands and serve God with their whole heart. And so God said, you know what? These are my guys. These are the ones I'm going to use. Faithful men in the midst of a rebellious and ungodly generation chosen to serve God full time. And again, provision for their service came through the people's faithfulness to give. Even so, Lord... The Lord had commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. That's 1 Corinthians 9.14. Verse 6. So if a Levite comes from any of your gates where he dwells among all Israel and comes with all the desire of his mind to the place where the Lord chooses, that he may serve in the name of the Lord his God as all his brethren and Levites do who stand there before the Lord. So this Levite, what happened was initially, if you look in the... In the earlier text, that they were spread out in all 48 cities, because every city needed priests to be there, and needed those guys to serve in ministry. They didn't just take all the, you know, all the ministers and put them in one city. They spread them all out. And so in those 48 cities, these guys were serving the Lord, and they were, what does a priest do? He intercedes with God on behalf of the people, and he represents God to the people. He goes and intercedes on, and speaks to the Lord for them, makes the sacrifices for them, and then he comes back and ministers to the people. Now it says there, if one of these Levites, who's in one of these 48 cities, feels called by God to go to the place the Lord chooses, where would that be? Where's the tabernacle? Where's the temple later? Jerusalem. Okay, this is going forward. If they feel led to go to that place to serve in that capacity full time, then it says that they are to be provided for. They were to go, called by God, openly responding of his own free will. I want you to see that. I think it's important there. Then look at what it says there. The desire of his mind. With all the desire of his mind. So he was called by God. When God calls you, he won't make you do anything. Do you know that? People struggle with that. Well, if God's sovereign and he wants you to do something, you have to do it. That's not true. God has a desire that none should perish, no, not one. Amen? Is everybody going to be saved? No. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sent on His Son to the world to condemn the world but the world through Him might be saved. Is everybody going to be saved? No. Why? God desires that we all would come to Him but He won't force anybody to do anything. He's a loving God, a gracious God. He'll do everything for you if you will simply allow Him. But you know what? He's not going to force you to do anything. And that's, you know what? I want to encourage you guys as Christians. God has so much more He wants to do in every one of our lives than He's doing right now. Amen? And we're, we're as close to God as we want to be. People say, I'm not very close to God. Whose fault is that? Who moved? Amen? I'm not as close to God as I used to be. Who moved? 
God didn't move, you did. Amen? And so we, we can be as close to God as we want to be, and it's our desire. It's when we come to the Lord and say, here I am, Lord. My life is yours. Use me as you will. He's going to answer that prayer every time. But that we've got to come to that place where we truly give our lives completely to Him. And it says the desire of His mind. So the Levites were called, and now his heart's been moved, and he says, I want to go, and I want to serve in the tabernacle full time. And then it says in verse 8, they shall have equal portions to eat besides what comes from the sale of his inheritance. Now, wait a minute. Didn't you say he didn't have an inheritance? Again, he had no land that he possessed. He might have purchased a small spot of land. It's probably even just his stuff. It might be the stuff his parents had. Okay? Now, understand the priests, they had parents. They had families. They had children. And so he feels called, and he sells his stuff, and he goes. And what it says here is, you give him an equal portion... And don't give him less just because he sold his stuff. I've known, I've known churches that have done that. You know, I understand you got an inheritance. Maybe we shouldn't have to pay you for a while. Wait a minute, what's up with that, right? I mean, that, what they're saying is, okay, you know, if you've got enough to eat, that's all you should have. And what he's saying here is those who serve in the ministry that God, is, God will provide for them, those who serve in the gospel will be provided for from the gospel, and they should have equal portions besides that which comes from the sale of their inheritance. They were not to be given less. They were to be blessed because they were serving God full time. Our focus is impacted greatly by what we invest in. What he's saying here very clearly is, look, the Levites are willing to lay down their lives. They give their lives completely. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, I don't want to say this too. Every single pastor is to be a mature believer, but not every mature believer is to be a pastor. Amen? So you may be on fire for God and you're just not called. That's wonderful. We're not all called to be in the ministry full time. But everybody who is a Christian should desire to walk in maturity before God and be doing everything that God has called them to do. And it's just as high a calling to show up here an hour early and set up the chairs as it is to teach the Bible. Because it's just being faithful to what God has called you to do. Not everybody's an eye. Not everybody's an ear, right? We need the whole body functioning. We need people being here to hand out bulletins and love on people. We need people who just feel called to do those, those things that make the church and the body of Christ function the way that it does. But one of the things that must happen is we must give. And again, it's giving of our times, time, our talents, our resources, giving to the Lord of our first fruits, because as we do, the body of Christ can function. So it's, it's, it's giving, you know, me too. You've heard me use that in an illustration that a, a guy was telling me one time when they passed the offering plate by, he wanted to put himself in it. Obviously, that wasn't our church. We don't pass an offering plate. But he said, you know, when the offering plate came by, I just wanted to get in it myself, because I didn't want to give God just my wallet. I wanted to give him my whole life. There's the right heart. There's a man or a woman that God can use. The body of Christ functions at its highest when those willingly respond to God's call in full-time ministry. And then there are those who faithfully and obediently give of their first fruits to support the ministry. Now, you've got to understand, why is he telling them all this? Have they heard this before? Yes. Why is he telling them? Because they're getting ready to go into the land flowing with milk and honey. And they're going to get there, and some of the Levites might go, man, this place is pretty sweet. I need some inheritance. I've got to go barter me some land. And there might be others who say, you know what, I, got so much, I, don't, I don't need to trust God anymore, and I don't need to be, make Him the focus of my life anymore. And you know what, God's God enough. He doesn't need my stuff. Well, that's always true. God doesn't need your stuff, amen? But we give because we love Him out of a show for heart. So how to have a heavenly focus? We invest in the kingdom of God to give as you are called. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now this next portion is some heavy stuff. Because he's going to warn them to avoid the wicked worldly customs. To walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. To beware of Satan's devices. You know what? If people don't know the true and living God and don't have his word to guide them, they will find a substitute to help them make decisions and to face up to the demands of life. Instead of worshiping the true and living God, the people of Canaan worshiped dead idols. For the word of God, they substituted superstitious practices that linked them to Satan and his demonic forces. No matter what experts, again, in comparative religions tell you, any worship outside of worshiping God is satanic, period. Because who wants to be worshiped? Satan does, right? And, you might say, and I'll tell you what, those of you may get a chance to go to India with me in October, some of those idols... I've never seen anything that looks more satanic in my life. I told some of you there was an idol right outside of my hotel. Literally, it was a real evil face with horns and fangs. And it was chewing on a baby. 
and a bite out of a baby and blood running down its cheek and all these people are going, oh. I'm like, if that isn't satanic worship, I don't know what is. And we either worship God or we worship the enemy. We're either pursuing the Lord or pursuing the world. And again, 1 Corinthians 10.14 equates idolatry to Satan worship. It says there, the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. The explosion of the occult that we're seeing in the, in the world today is evidence of people are seeking hope in the wrong direction. Do people know that something's missing? Absolutely. A couple of the guys were watching, they sold their souls to rock and roll today in the office. You guys ever seen that? One of the most powerful things, man, it's incredible. And you know what? It's just all about how focused on the enemy that so many things of this world are. And some of these guys just flat out standing up and saying, I want, I'm worshiping Satan and I want to take as many of your kids with me. And these are popular rock stars that you would know by name. It's amazing. And we have a few copies in the office. If you borrow it, please bring it back. I think we bought 15 copies now. They go out and they never come back. And as long as someone's watching them, I'm blessed. But, but you know what? If you visit any secular bookstore, especially here in Santa Cruz, what do you find? You find more sections on witchcraft and black magic and everything under the sun than you do about the Lord. that true or not? Absolutely true. More, you'll find more on feng shui than on Jesus Christ. You'll find more stuff on astrology than you will on the Lord. You'll find more stuff about the false gods than you will the true and living God. People who refuse to love the truth must end up believing lies. That's a fact. Everybody who doesn't know Christ believes a lie. Because if they knew the truth, they wouldn't live their life the way they do. Amen? So they're following a lie. Somebody taught them something or they got their own, you know, they, put, they want to be God of their own life. And so that's the way they're going to live. And only Jesus Christ can deliver them from the bondage these occult practices bring to their lives. And look what it says in verse 9, looking at these wicked customs around them. You, it says, when you come into the land of the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn. You shall not learn. Now, what is he talking about? He says, to follow the abominations. God knows that many people have a natural curiosity regarding the occult. And their curiosity often leads them to gain knowledge God commands them to leave alone. God forbids his people from having anything to do with occult practices. You don't need to go to a seance to know that it's wrong. Amen? You don't need to be involved in stuff that is ungodly to know that it's ungodly. The Bible says that we are to be ignorant toward the things that are ungodly. Amen? God doesn't want all that garbage in my mind or in my head. And he says, you shall not learn. You don't need to know. You don't need to follow that stuff. You don't need to be passionate about it. When you come into the land that the Lord has given you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. The word there for abomination means detestable, disgusting, or aberrant. Moses had already talked about some of these earlier. He warned Israel, have nothing to do with these things. And now as they're about to enter the land of promise, they're warned again with even greater detail not to follow these false gods and the things of the world. Look at verse 10. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire. Now pass through the fire. If you've been coming any length of time, this refers to the sacrifices of children to false gods. Most specifically to Molech. Molech was a god that was made out of a, an incandescent metal. They would heat it up. It would be burning red hot. Its arms were held out like this. It was a god of prosperity. And they would and also the God of, of sex, but they would bring their babies and set their babies on its arms and watch them fry to death. And they did this as an act of worship. And if they did it, they were promised prosperity. And they would be beating drums to drown out the scream of the baby. And he says, when you come into the land, don't you dare get involved in that. And we might look at that and say, man, that is so barbaric. That people would sacrifice their children on the idol of prosperity or the idol of sex. What are we doing today? You know, they burnt their babies alive, but you know what happens in abortion, most abortions? They inject a saline solution that burns the baby alive. We're not doing anything different. And you know what? It's because of prosperity most often. Well, I can't afford a baby right now. You know, it's just cramping my style. 
So I, I'm just not going to get involved with that right now. I'm going to turn away from it. You know what? We're doing the same that they did back then. Today we burn the children in the bellies of women rather than on altars to Molech, but it's for the very same reason. You've seen the sticker. It's a child, not a choice. You know, right now they're celebrating the 32nd year of Roe v. Wade or something like that. Saw it on TV the other day. And they're all talking about how proud they are. We're so proud that we're standing, and all these politicians, we're standing up for women's rights. How about babies' rights? Amen? And if you're here and you're pro-baby killing, that's, it's not pro-choice. Amen? God still loves you, but you need to get right with God because it's wrong. It's flat-out murder. Amen? Less than half of every person that goes into an abortion clinic comes out alive. Think about that. All the babies die, millions, every single year. It's wrong. And so God says to them, you don't have anything to do with that. You don't touch, you don't let your children pass through the fire. And as Christians, our children should not pass through the fire. Let me tell you right now, if you have an unwanted pregnancy, you know about somebody, you bring it, I'll take the baby right now. You've got my, and you know what? I bet there's 50 couples in this church standing in line that will take them. Amen? And so if you hear about somebody, I, you know what? And I'll tell you what else. We as a church will pay the bills to get her through maternity. You have my word, okay? Let, a baby's life is so valuable. Amen? And you know what? We need to pray for Ted with PRC. He comes to church here in the, in the Pregnancy Resource Center here in town. Be praying for them and the work that they do. But that I, they, again, it's a child, not a choice. And I also want to say this. If you're here and you aborted a baby earlier in life, God will forgive you or has forgiven you if you've asked him to. Amen? He's a faithful God. Every time I talk about abortion, I know there's women that have had them and they, oh, the Lord loves you and he's forgiven you. Amen? And that baby's in heaven. Amen? So praise the Lord. God's a faithful God. But he says, don't let your children pass through the fire. Don't fall into the trap. Don't be like the world. And you might say, how in the world? They're not going to fall into that. Yes, they will if they spend enough time around it. Just like their churches today that say it's okay to abort babies because they've been hanging out with the world too long and haven't been standing on God's word. The next word there, or one who practices witchcraft. Now, this describes a variety of occult practices. Anything that makes contact with a demonic or dark spiritual world. Practices witchcraft as a variety of devices to discern the will of the gods, to attain special knowledge of future events. And by the way, there's no such thing as a good witch. No such thing. There's no Glinda Good Witch of the North flying in town, right? That ain't happening. And this whole wicked thing you hear about, you hear about that in Santa Cruz a lot, right? You know, have you seen this thing, love your mother with a picture of the earth? That's pagan, big time. What is that? Worship the earth. I don't think so. Amen? You're worshiping the globe, not me. Worship the creator, not the creation. Amen? And there's this whole thing right now that's tied to, to you know, it's very occultic. Love your mother earth. The earth is not my mother. My mom lives in Felton. <laughs> Earth's not my mom. Amen? Not who I serve, not who I follow. And again, there's no such thing as a good witch. And he says, you know what? You, you shall not be found among anyone who let your son or daughter pass through the fire. And nobody who practices witchcraft. Nobody who does anything in the occult. Nobody who, again, is seeking to know the future through demonic intervention of any kind. Look what it says next. Or a soothsayer. Now this is a reference most clearly to astrology. Somebody who uses creation or, or divination, predicting or seeking guidance through the stars, the suns, the planets, sun, the planet, or clouds. The use of incantations. They chant and they look at the stars. And again, we've talked about this. I am baffled by how foolish this is. It just blows my mind. Some guy will walk up and grab a little piece of paper out of a box at 7-Eleven and read it and not go to work the next day. Because where the, you know, Uranus is in its second, whatever. What, what has that got to do with anything? People won't make decisions based on how the stars are lined up and how they were lined up when they were born. It is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. But you know what it is? It's worshiping creation rather than the creator. When people don't know the truth, they'll buy a lie. Amen? It's foolishness to us because we know the truth. I know the creator of the universe. I don't have to look and figure out where the stars are. I'm not getting a little thing up. Ooh, you know. Or, or what about, you know, when, was another thing that's popular. What's your sign? What's your sign? Oh, I'm Pisces. Oh, that means you're, you know, it's noise. <laughs> Stupidest thing. When people ask me that, you know what I tell them? What's your sign? The cross. Cross is my sign. 
Because Jesus Christ suffered and died there that I might have eternal life. And he loves you. Amen? So that's our sign. That's where we got saved. It has nothing to do with, you know, man. And I've just blo- But again, it gets back to that same thing. That people will buy any foolishness if they don't know the truth. Because they've got to believe in something. They've got to turn somewhere when things get difficult. And if they don't know God, they will turn to something. So as Christians, should you read your horoscope for fun? Let me just tell you right now. No, absolutely not. Should you study your sign? I wonder what my sign means, right? No. Again, if you want to study your sign, study the cross. Amen? Study the cross of Christ. Sinner saved by grace. Look what it says next. Or one who interprets omens. And the word there for omens or, or interprets is the word to whisper. And this refers to psychics or fortune tellers. Those who use aids to tell the future, whether it be tarot cards, crystal balls, leaf readers, palm readers, Ouija boards, whatever it might be. A Christian should have nothing to do with any of these practices. Should you, if you're at a carnival, go to the fortune? Absolutely not. Because one of two things is true, but I told this to a psychic one time. was not real popular after I told them, but this is what I told them. So I, I sold yellow page ads, as most of you know, and I told this one, I got thrown out pretty quick, but I told this one psychic, real, I, I usually didn't call on him, the Lord put it on my heart, if you don't go tell him about the Lord, who's going to? So go talk to him. Okay. So I went out there, and I told her, I said, you know, one of two things is true of psychics. She said, really? I said, either one, they're liars and money grubbers who make everything up and they're just, it's just a scam, or two, they're tools of Satan. So which one are you? There it is. Was out of that building pretty quick. My boss got called before I got back to the office. Who's this guy coming in? Right, exactly. It was funny because I walked in the door, and you know what she said when I walked in the door? She said, you have two jobs, this one and another job, and the other job is really the passion of your life, and you don't even want to be here right now. Oh, so I guess you'd be the second one. (laughs) Tool of Satan, right? Because she's right, I had another job, I was, pa- I was a youth pastor at the time. You're right. Right answer. A Christian should have nothing to do with these practices. Because again, they're doorways to the occult. They're doorways, and you know what, let me say this too, and again, I, I'm going to step on a whole bunch of toes tonight, but that's alright. Dungeons and Dragons, Pit of Hell. Amen? All these fantasy games and pretending to be a wizard and all this... Christians have nothing to... It's just a fantasy game. Come on, man, lighten up. No, it's a doorway to the occult, amen? And as Christians, we should be as far away from it as we possibly can be. You know, Harry Potter movies. I read Harry Potter books, right? No big deal. No, what is that book? What are those books about? The occult, witchcraft. As Christians, should we have anything to do with that? No. Instead of reading Harry Potter, read your Bible, amen? Which one's going to cause you to grow, right? Which one's going to stumble you and take your eyes off of the Lord. Now, if that wasn't popular with you, wait till you hear this one. It says, or, or a sorcerer. Now, the word here for sorcery is those who use drugs or potions to cast spells or to gain spiritual knowledge. The word for sorcery is pharmakia. And you know what's interesting? If you go to Micah, the one of the words that's used there is herb. So if you're smoking pot, you're in sin and you need to stop. Period. Pastor Dave. I've had people tell me, well, I got a prescription. Well, if you have a prescription, it's still wrong. Is, is, it, is it legal to drink alcohol? Should we drink it? Should we get drunk? Well, it's legal. Romans 13, cement to authority, right? No. Absolutely not. I'm amazed the number of people come and tell me, well, the herbs came out of the ground. We can smoke them. You smoking pine cones too or what? I don't get it. Here's the thing, guys. Our minds should be given to nothing but the Lord. Amen? And when you take anything else and your mind is altered and you can't focus on God, you know what? You cannot be used by God effectively. And I know people are going to get mad at me, but that goes for medical marijuana as far as I'm concerned. There's got to be something else you can take. I don't see how this is God. Yeah, man, this is great. How's that God? I don't see God in that. If I'm wrong, God forget. I just don't see it. I'm not, I'm not tracking with that. And you know what? Be careful about pharmaceuticals too. 
Every doctor, that's what they want to do. Your kid's got ADD. We've got to give him some Ritalin, right? No, he's six. He's just got a lot of energy, amen? They want to put everybody in Ritalin. We'll put drugs on everybody. No. Pharmacia, sorcery. I can't be clear of mind. I can't worship God the way I'm supposed to if I'm drugged out in a stupor. Sorcery is not okay even with a prescription. Amen? It's not okay. And I live in Santa Cruz, and when this goes on the radio, we'll probably have pickets down at the building. But that's all right. Because you know what? The Word of God is the Word of God. Amen? And he says, don't be involved in sorcery, pharmakia, the use of drugs, the use of anything. And there's the other thing. There are people who used to take LSD so they could see God. Tell me that's not true. It's a testimony of one of the Calvary pastors. He said, yeah, you take LSD, man. I see all the, yeah, you see all kinds of lights when you're on LSD. But that's not God, amen? You don't see God by taking drugs. You see God by falling on your knees before Him and crying out to Him and asking Him to reveal Himself to you, amen? Be not drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said, what is he telling these guys? Don't have anything to do with this. Don't go anywhere near it. You got a roommate who's smoking pot? Move out. Or tell him to quit. Oh, Pastor Dave, you're getting right. That's right. Does he, what does he say? Have nothing to do with it. Why? Because bad company, what? Corrupts good morals. You start hanging out with the world, you're going to become like the world if you're not careful. Next. Or one who conjures spells. Now these are those who use the demonic or pagan occult powers to cast spells. I wrote down it's the opposite of intercessory prayer. Instead of interceding for somebody, it's casting a spell on somebody. I'm get even with that guy, my boss. Give him some, some money, cast a spell on him, right? Here's the good news. You can cast all the spells you want on me. Greater is he that is in me than he is in the world, amen? We don't have to fear that stuff. I don't entertain it. I don't talk to... You know what else? The Bible tells us we're not to even address Satan. Did you know that? Let God take care of him, amen? I'm not walking around talking to Satan. I'm not binding Satan and all... That's, give me a verse. There's no verse for that. You know what? That's, that's this hyper... Let God take care of Satan, amen? God, you take care of him. I'm just going to serve you. I'm not going to worry about Satan. I'm going to worry about the Lord. Now, I do understand that a lot of what goes on in our lives is a spiritual battle. The Bible says that. We battle not with flesh and blood. We recognize it as a spiritual battle. But that doesn't mean we enter into addressing Satan. If you address Satan in your flesh, you're going to get whipped up on every time. Let the Lord have it. God's greater, amen? You just serve the Lord. Then it says, or a medium. A medium is one who channels between the living and the dead. Again, we see people doing that. You say, who's this guy on TV? Who's this guy? You know what I'm talking about? Crossing over. There it is. I, I don't know his name, but, oh, yeah, you're, yeah, I'm talking to your grandma right now, and here's what she's telling you. <laughs> Liar, right? Or if you're hearing something, that ain't God. Because you know what else? If somebody died and could talk to you, they wouldn't be telling you, you know, where they left their car keys. Right? To ask grandma, we can't find our car. We don't know the combination to the safe. Could you ask grandma what the car? If she could talk to you, she's in one of two places, right? She's in heaven or in hell, and in either case, she's telling you it's real. The story of Lazarus and the rich man, you remember that story? What did the rich man say? He's in, he's in torment, right, in hell. What does he say? Go back and tell my family. I don't want him coming here. Go tell them. Go tell them. This is for real. So if somebody's crossing over, which they can't, by the way, but if somebody was, what would they be saying? Repent! Amen? Not the combination is 12 to the left, 40. No, that ain't happening. Much more important things going on. They're talking about eternity. Unbelievable. Yeah, your grandma says she's fine. You know, I've never seen him deliver bad. I don't watch that show. You shouldn't watch it either. You know what? But I've caught a piece of it when he said, oh, yeah, yeah. He never says, yeah, she's, it's weeping and gnashing of teeth. She's really struggling right now. That never happens. Again, does Satan want us to know that hell is a real place? Absolutely not. So if anybody, if either, I think it's probably just a scam, but if it's not, and someone's talking to him, it's the enemy. And what's the enemy going to say? Everybody's fine. It's all good. Just live your life wherever you want, and you'll be with Grandma one day. Well, that part's true, but it's not going to be good. If grandma didn't know the Lord. It says there, or a spiritist. Again, knowing ones, those who claim to have unique occultic or psychic knowledge or powers. And again, they're either phonies or there's a 1-900 psychic. You call them up and, you know, who should I marry? 
Again, if you don't believe the truth, you'll buy any lie, won't you? You'd be calling Dionne Warwick on the phone and asking her who you ought to marry instead of seeking God. Amen? And again, he says, what does he say? Don't have anything to do with these people. Don't play around with it. Don't mess with it. Don't touch it. Have nothing to do with it. And then lastly, one who calls up the dead. Very similar to the medium that we talked about a minute ago. They try to conjure up or contact the dead, whether through channeling or seances or like this guy on TV, whatever method he says that he uses. And the Lord says, okay, you're going to the land of promise. Guess what? They're all going to be waiting for you there. Have nothing to do with them. You know, in Santa Cruz, all this stuff is going on around us. Amen? You know, there's over 200,000 astrologers and over half a million psychics in the United States. Okay, there's plenty of... Now, there's only that many because they stay in business because people go to them. Right? And people go to them because they don't know the truth. All the more reason we ought to have an urgency to share with them the truth. You know, don't go to the psychic. Don't call Dion Warwick. You can know the creator of the universe. Amen? We can share with them the love of God. Verse 12. For all who do these things are just having some fun and it's no big deal. Is that what it says? For all who do these things are what? An abomination to the Lord. Abomination to the Lord is not good if you didn't know that. So if you do these things, it's an abomination to the Lord. Reading your horoscope, abomination to the Lord. Tarot cards, abomination to the Lord. Psychics, abomination to the Lord. Palm readers, abomination to the Lord. Consulting mediums, abomination to the Lord. Calling one hundred psychic, abomination to the Lord. That's what it says. And he says, don't have anything to do with it. And also, pharmakia, herbs, drugs, abomination to the Lord. Amen? Okay? So he says there, what did the Lord do? These things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. So what does God do to these people who are practicing these things? He sends the children of Israel in and says, wipe them all out and get them out of here. Now, sometimes we look in the Bible and we say, why would God kill all the enies and the ites, right? Why did God wipe them out? I don't understand. You know what? Do you understand now, maybe? These people are caught up in idol worship. They're caught up in Satan worship. They're caught up in demonic stuff. They're, they're into drugs. They're into all this stuff, and they've rejected God completely, and God gave them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, and then God's bringing his children in, and he says, you know what, I'm not going to let them corrupt you, so you know what, you're going to drive them out of there, including killing them if it's necessary, because it's righteous judgment. Again, we struggle with that sometimes, but that just doesn't seem fair. You know, what, you know what's not fair? That you and I are sinners... And we are wicked and perverse above all things. And because of God's grace, we get to go to heaven. That's not fair. Amen? What's fair is what we deserve. And I don't want what I deserve. But it's God removed them. He drove them out. And what's he telling them? I'm moving them out so you guys don't try to bring them back. When you get into the land and the Canaanites are there, you're going to want to you know, hang out with them and maybe bring some of them back. Don't do that. I'm driving them out for a reason. Verse 13. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. Now, he's not just talking about a holy walk, but in context, a solemn warning to have absolutely nothing to do with any of these things. Don't have anything to do with them. You be blameless. When it comes to sorcery, be blameless. When it comes to the mediums, be blameless. When it comes to the psychics, be blameless. When it comes to the crystal balls, be blameless. When it comes to reading a horoscope, be blameless. Remember, the culture is not the standard God's word is. Amen? It doesn't matter how many people are doing it. It doesn't matter how many people who are Christians are doing it. It's irrelevant. It's what does the Bible say? God's word is the authority, not what the culture says. Verse 14. For these nations which you will dispossess, listen to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord God has not appointed such for you. Again, we're to learn the truth not through demonic sources, not through psychics, witchcraft, astrology, drug use, etc. God has appointed us to have a personal, intimate relationship with the Creator of the universe through the person of His Son and the power of the Spirit. Amen? And we don't need any of this other stuff. We don't need the counsel of the ungodly. And, and again, I, well, I'm, I'm already in trouble, so we might as well. That includes psychology. And I know I'm going to get phone calls for that, but that's okay. Because what does psychology say? Esteem self. What does the Bible say? Deny self. What does psychology say? Man can achieve, can overcome man's problems through man's own efforts. What does the Bible say? Without him we can do nothing. The uh, psychology is built on atheistic belief system. 
that there is no God. Freud and Jung. Does God need Freud and Jung and all the other fathers of psychology's help to minister to you? What's the answer? Yeah, we need the atheist's help because God could minister to you without Freud's help. You know what? We've got the answer book right here. Amen? This is it. And so we can open up the Bible and get the answers from the creator of the universe. Psalm 1 says, Walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. And it tells us who is the mighty counselor. God is. So who do you want for a counselor? Freud or God? You choose. Amen? Give me God every time. And so we don't need ungodly counsel. We don't need to go to the world. We can go to the Lord directly. And don't be swayed one way or the other. How then was Israel to discern and know the truth? Because there were so many out there that would teach false things. Let's look at the last eight verses here. How can I understand the truth? How can I know that what someone's speaking is true? Verse 15. We're going to see God's instructions to the children of Israel. It's not only to support those serving in full-time ministry and to give, not only to avoid the wicked worldly customs and ungodly counsel, but to honor the word of God, to heed the prophets that God would bring them, to walk in obedience to God's word, and not to put themselves in a situation of falling after what is culturally acceptable. Verse 15, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear. Do you see the contrast? Okay, here's all the gods and everybody the Canaanites are serving here, the sorcerers and the mediums and all this stuff. You know what? That's not for you. God's going to raise up for you a prophet. You don't need all this other stuff. You're going to have a prophet. Now understand, they didn't have 66 books of the Bible. After he gets done writing this, they got five. Amen? So they didn't have the whole counsel of God. So they did have the word and even what the the uh, prophet would say had to be confirmed in the word, but God brought prophets, and we know that he did. It says there, him you shall hear. So there indeed were going to be more prophets raised up by God after Moses, men who would proclaim the truth of God to God's people, men like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. All right, minor prophets, okay? So there's all the prophets. There's the 16 prophets that we know of, and there were other prophets besides them. And so all of those prophets, God raised up to speak to the people on his behalf. Now, how do you know if someone says they're a prophet if what they're saying is true? These men were called by God not only to rebuke Israel's sin, but to encourage them to live holy lives. But they all pointed to the same thing. Every one of these prophets pointed to the coming Messiah. When Jesus was on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection, remember he's walking along with two disciples, he, he disguised himself or made them not recognize him. And they're walking along, and what did he do? It says, beginning at the prophets, he declared to them all things concerning himself. So all the prophets were teaching and pointing to the coming Messiah. Moses was doing more than promise, promising the whole line of prophets that the Lord was going to send, but he's also talking about the ultimate prophet. Who's that? Jesus Christ. He was also announcing that he would come. Look what it says about this prophet. He will come from the midst of your brethren, which means the prophets had to be Jews. Like Moses, one of them. Like me from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear. Like Moses, he would draw the attention and the command of the people of the nation. They would hear him like they heard Moses. According to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb, in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire anymore, lest I die. According to all that they did, desired, so too will the ultimate prophet and each prophet be a mediator. Because what did Moses do? Once they said, We can't go up there anymore, we're not going to go, we can't hear, we hear his voice, we're all going to die. That's, and in a way, that's a good thing. Because the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And they had a fear of God. And they said, Moses, you go. And he said, all the other prophets that come, they're also going to intercede on your behalf. They're going to be those who approach God. But ultimately, he's talking about the Lord. And he would be a mediator between sinful man and holy God. He would represent God to the people and the people to God. They couldn't be in his presence and live. Because we can't be in the Father's presence and live. And that's, one, that's why Jesus came. And the Lord said to me, what they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among your brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he will speak to them all that I command him. What else do we know? Like Moses, he would speak the word of God and only that which the Father commands. That's a sign of a true prophet. 
A true prophet speaks only the word of God and that which God commands. Again, ultimately, ultimately fulfilled in Christ. And then it says there in verse 19, And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. Like Moses, the prophet's message would be rejected at a great penalty. Those who didn't hear Moses' words, guess what happened? Died in the wilderness. Died at Mount Sinai. Those who don't heed the word of the prophet, Jesus Christ, are going to spend eternity separated from God. It's a serious thing to hear God's word and not respect it and obey it, for the word of God is truth. The very truth the world is looking for in all the wrong places. You know what? We need to treasure this book more. Amen? God's word is, is a priceless treasure. It teaches us what we need to know about God. It teaches us how to live our everyday lives. It shows us how to, to live for the Lord, to please Him, and it teaches us the way to be saved. This book should be the most, one of your most precious possessions. It should be something that you love, something you spend time in every day. Imagine if we were in the Word as much as we watch TV. Be some spiritual giants. Amen? Or whatever your favorite hobby is if you don't have a TV at home. Like Moses, guess what else? We know that, like Moses, left his throne to deliver his people, right? Moses was a prince in Egypt. Who's the prince of peace? Jesus Christ. And he left his throne to do what? To deliver his people. Like Moses, Moses' ministry began where? In the wilderness. Forty years in the wilderness. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness. Moses is a type or a picture of Christ. And the ultimate prophet that he's talking about here is absolutely the Lord. A few verses left here. You know what? There's no substitute for God's Word. And I want to encourage you guys that we need to be men and women and pursue it with our whole heart. Don't be caught up in psychics and astrology. Look to Jesus and His Word. Don't look to the moon and the stars. Look to the sun, the S-O-N. Amen? Because He's the one who has the answers. <laughs> Lastly, how do you know when a false prophet is a false prophet? Look at verse 20. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. If someone proclaims himself to be a prophet and is wrong, they die. How many times do you have to be wrong to be a false prophet? Once. And I'll tell you what, be careful. I hear Christians use this all, all the time. The Lord told me. Really? Now, sometimes that's true. But I've had people tell me, the Lord told me, and then a week later they tell me, the Lord told me, and it's the exact opposite. So either God changed his mind, and that doesn't happen, or you're a liar. Amen? Let's be careful before we say, thus saith the Lord. And what's even more amazing is when people come up and tell me that the Lord told them something about me. The Lord told me that you, really... Dude, you're out of your mind, right? I'm going to pray for you. Because you know what? People do that. We need to be careful because what does God say about false prophets? They shall die. Now, again, if someone comes up and tells you and they're wrong, don't stone them, all right? That's God. Put them in God's hands, okay? But how do we know if a prophet's true or not? It says, if they're wrong, they shall die. Look what it says, verse 21. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? Then he gives the answer, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that thing which the Lord has not spoken, the prophet has spoken it presumptuously, you shall not be afraid of him. So first of all, on that day, the first thing they did is if they said something was going to happen and it didn't happen, you know, there's a lot of religious leaders today that have made these grandiose claims and they've been wrong and people just keep following them. People that predict things, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. No, it didn't. And... If they're wrong one time, they're a false prophet. But also, we know from the earlier text in chapter 13, he said that everything must be confirmed by the Word of God. When somebody speaks something today, is anybody going to tell us something that's not in the Bible that's from God? The answer is no. Absolutely not. This book is sufficient right here. If, he sp if they speak something and it comes from the Lord, it's going to be confirmed in the Word. That's why we know Joseph Smith is a false prophet of the Mormon church. Amen? How do we know? Because he's got his own book. God gave me some more stuff. You know what's amazing? They say this helps you understand the Bible, but it's interesting. I know the Bible pretty well, and what they say I would never have gotten if I didn't read their book. Amen? This helps you understand the Bible. No, it's got nothing to do with the Bible. It's a book of fairy tales. 
All the other things that, are, that contradict the Bible is not from God. That's why, how are we going to know the false prophets? Know the truth of the Word, amen? If you don't spend time in the Word, you can be duped. You can be duped by a lie very easily. So a true prophet had to be 100% accurate. Or he was a false prophet and he was put to death. All he had said had to come to pass exactly the way he said it. Today we as believers must use discernment. There are many false prophets in the world today. Know the Word. Line up everything that you hear with the Word of God. You hear somebody on TV teaching a message, align it with the Word. Why do I tell you guys to get a Bible when you get here? Because I want you to see that what I'm sharing with you is not my opinion, it's God's Word. Amen? I want you to look at it. I want you to see it. I want you to hold me accountable. And, and we also need to make sure that not only is it aligned with Scripture, but don't allow your feelings and emotions to cause you to believe something that's not true. And that's very prevalent in the world today. People get whipped up by their emotions. I feel, though. I've heard that so many times. Yeah, but I feel. I just had this feeling from my head to my toes. And, you know, when God told me that he was going to... And then it doesn't happen. So was that God? No. Now, is our God a God of emotion? Yes. But the emotion is not... He's not the author of confusion. And the emotion that comes will be in control and God will be glorified through it. Amen? All prophecy will glorify God. All prophecy will be true to His Word. So in review, how to have a heavenly focus. Invest in that which is eternal. Your time, your gifts, your resources. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. Beware of Satan's devices. You cannot have company with the world and company with God. You can't drink of the cup of demons and the cup of the Lord. And then lastly, Honor God's Word. Make sure that you test everything against the Bible. We're to be like the Bereans. Study to see if these things are so. If we do that, we won't be duped by the lie. And at the same time, can I encourage you with something? I want to make sure I'm real balanced with this. If you know somebody who's caught up in any of that stuff, don't condemn them, love them. Amen? Reach out to them. Don't have anything to do with their activity, but love on them and share with them the truth. They're obviously looking for something if they'll believe the lie. They need to hear the truth. And we need to be the ones that share it with them. Amen? Jesus is the truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, for your love and your grace, for your mercy. Lord, I thank you for the warnings you put in the Bible. The warnings that will keep us from things that will harm us. Keep us from things that will get our eyes off of you. Keep us from things that will draw us into the trap of the enemy. It's because you love us that you keep us from it. Father, I pray that we would be men and women who know your word who hunger for your word, men and women who give you of our first fruits. Lord, I pray for those who are here who may be called into full-time ministry, Lord, that their heart would be pierced and they would say, yes, Lord, here I am. Use me fully. Lord, I pray for those of us who may not be called to full-time ministry, but Lord, that we would be faithful to give to support those who are called. Those who are called to the mission field, those who are called to planning churches, whatever it might be, Lord, I pray that we'd all be faithful so the body may operate the way you want it to. Pray also, Lord, that we would not be sucked into the things of this world, that we would not look at at these things that are of the devil as being harmless or being no no big deal, but, Lord, that we would guard our homes and guard our eyes and guard what comes through our televisions and on the Internet. And, Lord, just may you bless our homes and may may you put a hedge of thorns of protection around them. And then lastly, Lord, may we be men and women who honor your word above all else, Lord, as we honor you and glorify you. So, Lord, we love you. We praise you. Give us an opportunity this week to reach out to a world that desperately needs you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and close the worship song. the fall.